Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. The role he played in the early church, and who his life is patterned after. Well, first of all, most of us know who Paul was, right? He was originally called Saul. Saul was a very educated man who spent a number of years persecuting Christians. And it was much more than just bullying Christians. He was responsible for the death of many of the early Christians. And we also know that while he was riding on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with the living God, and his life was changed forever. And after that, over a number of years, he could be found teaching the Christians how to live, how to have a deeper relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and how to live in relationship with one another. And we know that he started many churches, and he took responsibility for them. He was known as the Apostle Paul. He was a great letter writer. How many of you still write letters? You know, it's been a while since I've written a letter. But he was a great letter writer, and we have many of his letters to the early churches are found in the books of the New Testament. And one thing that I noticed is that he always started off his letters by introducing himself. And, you know, if he started many of these churches, or at least had been ministering to them on a regular basis, why do you think he did that? And, you know, if you think about the early church, the church was growing. And just some, like sometimes here at Christ Family Church, when Damon comes back to minister, or when Glenn and Chelsea used to come back when they hadn't been here for a while, you know, we may have some new people. They may not know who they are. And so we introduce them so that they know that they're already connected to us in the Spirit and that they have authority to speak into our lives, those things which God shares with them. And so we establish that connection for those people who've come on board since their last visit or since the last time they've ministered here. And if you look at the many of the books of the Bible that were written by Paul, you'll see that his introduction and greeting were very often in the very first verse. And I thought it was kind of funny as I was looking at these different books. It was chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. He would describe himself and who he was to that body. Today we're going to start looking at a letter that he wrote um, to the church at Colossae. The Bible scholars like to debate about who wrote the book of Colossians. It's attributed to Paul, but some think it it must have been written by somebody else because there were at least a dozen different words in it that he used there that he didn't use anywhere else. And some think that the writing style was different than his other books. And some think that it was written while he was in prison. So possibly it could have actually been pinned by somebody else as he was telling them. And you know, I'm so glad I'm not a Bible scholar 
I think that must be awfully tiring work. We know that Paul traveled extensively for a number of years. And I like to think that he'd just broaden his vocabulary. You know, we do that sometimes. We get a new word and we decide we're going to try to use it. So maybe that's where those 12 words came from. As far, far as his writing style, if you've ever spent time in another part of the country, here in the U.S., you might find yourself picking up the local dialect or their accent. And I know when I talk to my friend in North Carolina, I find that before I hang up the phone, I'm talking just like her. We do that. But no matter, for our purpose today, we're gonna, uh, we want to see what Paul said to them in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn there, we're going to read from Colossians, starting at verse 1, chapter 1. And most of the time today, I'm going to use the New Living Translation. Verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and from our brother Timothy. The word apostle comes from the word apostolos, which means a delegate, an ambassador of the gospel, officially a commissioner of Christ, and get this, with miraculous powers, a messenger, he who is sent. And it also comes from the word apostello, which means set apart, to send out on a mission, literally or figuratively, and to set at liberty. And so we see that Paul was an ambassador of Christ, set apart, sent out with miraculous powers to be a messenger and to set people at liberty. That's pretty exciting. And so whose example does he follow? Well, if you look at Hebrews 3.1, and I believe this is in the King James translation, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the holy calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. So we see here that he was following the example of Jesus himself. And Jesus was the apostle and the high priest. So we've established who Paul was and what his purpose was and who he came to serve. So let's read a little bit further. Colossians 2, 1 through 2. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea. And for many other believers who've never met me personally, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. And I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. So Paul's an encourager. He's an edifier. He not only wants them to be encouraged, but he wants them to be strengthened by being knit together. And I want to talk about what that looks like today, being knit together. You notice that he used the word knit. He didn't say be encouraged and get together once in a while and spend a few minutes getting to know each other because um, it'll be good for, for you. He asked them to be knit together in love. <clears throat> and he didn't use the term woven or sewn but he used the word knit. And so here I want to ask you to use your imaginations, and I want to take some liberties uh, with the word knit. 
how many of you have ever knitted something. I'm guessing that a large portion of the ladies probably have, and probably some of the men too, but they may not admit it. The purpose of knitting is to create something from yarn, usually a garment. I was talking to Kathy Grooms last night about knitting because I was looking for a reference point, and we realized that we'd had the same experience with knitting. We've both knitted scarves, and that's all. (laughs) And a scarf, as you know, is just a long, narrow garment, and it's really long, and it's fairly simple. Or at least mine was very simple. But there are those who use patterns, and some of those patterns are quite intricate, and they create beautiful garments. And we think about what a garment is. It's a covering. Let's imagine for a moment that we, Christ Family Church, are creating a beautiful garment from yarn. And imagine that each of us is a yarn in the design and the construction of a beautiful finished product. That garment is our church body. And the word knit comes from the word sumbib adizio. Okay, probably haven't pronounced that right, but I kind of like it. Which means join together and to force or drive together. Isn't that interesting? Join vision and to force or drive together. It's pretty important that we as a body have a joined vision. And the idea of being forced or driven together tells me that it's not always easy. We've been doing this major remodel project at our house. And John's been doing a lot of the construction himself. And I'm mostly just the cleanup crew or the retriever of tools. But sometimes I get to help a little bit. And I'm really fascinated by the construction of walls. Because if you've ever lived in an old house, you realize that sometimes the walls are really wonky. And in fact, sometimes there can be several inches difference from one end of the room to the other, or from the top of the wall to the bottom of the wall. Anybody else ever had that? Yeah. So you really got to do your measuring. That's why they tell you you have to measure, 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 measure before you cut. So our experience has been that you sometimes have to force things together. And in raising up a wall, so you build this wall. If you've ever done this, you know, you have the two befores and you you lay them all and you hook them together with boards at the bottom. So you've got this wall and you pull it up into place. And sometimes it just doesn't fit. And we had this happen the other day. We were putting up a wall against a crooked ceiling. And John used a sledgehammer. (laughs) And by golly, he got that wall into place. And you know what happened when he did? And I'm telling you, it wasn't just a little bit he moved that thing. It was a lot. When he started, we were probably that far from being up where it needed to be. But he got it in place, and the ceiling didn't fall down. It was good. But when he got it in there, it was really tight. Really tight. So if we're knit together, the result is a joined vision that's been driven together by force, and it produces a tight fit which is what God wants from this as a body. So let's go back to our knitting illustration. (laughs) I want to share a few things I learned from Wikipedia. Okay? And, you know, if you've heard me before, you know I like Webster's Dictionary, I like Wikipedia, and I like my strongest concordance. And I like to use them all together. In your mind's eye, 
if you see the knitting needles, most of you have probably seen knitting needles, and they come in all sizes, from little tiny things to great big things. And now I understand people even knit on their arms. You know, and you get those really big chunky blankets. But if you see the knitting needles as the foundation of our beliefs and what they're built on, and the yarn or the stitches as individuals coming into the body to help form this beautiful, gov this beautiful garment, and here's what Wikipedia says. Knitting has multiple active stitches on the needle at one time. So there should be a bunch of us on this needle who are active at one time. There are consecutive rows of intermeshing loops. And a newly created loop is pulled through one or more of the loops. If it's not secured, the loops of a knitted course will come undone when their yarn is pulled, ripping out or unraveling. So the goal is to become intermeshed so that none of us unravel. And there's also a thing called a drop stitch. You know, and I think sometimes we've dropped some stitches in our garment. You know, sometimes those stitches choose to be dropped. And sometimes we allow them to be dropped because we haven't helped secure them in the body. A drop stitch or a misstitch creates a common error that creates an extra loop to be fixed. So, you've got this garment that you're working on this body, and we've got a drop stitch, and it's just hanging out there. And if it doesn't get fixed and knit back into the garment like it should, it's probably going to get snagged on something. Wikipedia says there are three basic tasks to knitting. The first one is the active, unsecured stitches must be held so they don't drop. The second one is that new bites of yarn must be passed through the fabric, usually through active stitches, thus securing them. And the third, these stitches must be released sometime after they've been secured. And I like to think of releasing people or stitches, as seeing them released into what God's called them to do. Now, I want to switch gears here, okay? We've talked about knitting, and I want to take you to another one of Paul's writing to the church at Corneth, where he addressed different parts of the body. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters... I don't want you to be uninformed. And verse 4 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it's the same God at work. And now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them just as he determines. Verse 12 says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given to one spirit to drink, the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but many. And it goes on to say there, how important each and every part is. And you probably know the scripture. The eye can't say it's not important. The ear can't say it's not important. The big toe can't say it's not important. And that's not in the scripture, but you know, you get the idea. Each and every part is important. You know, years ago... Um, we had some teaching on ministry of helps and how important that is in the body. Like those nursery workers and how very important they are. Not just to those babies, but to those mamas and to all of you. those children's workers downstairs, those people who are willing to step up and help with the youth group, those of you who come in here on Wednesday and pray, those of you who meet in leadership meetings throughout the week or the month to help find direction for this body, those of you who handle the finances, who handle the sound equipment, who do the worship, All of those things are so vitally important. And he has a place for all of us. And it's not just warming a pew. I feel like I've said that before. Have I said that before? (laughs) But it's vitally important, each and every part. You know, last week, um, there was ministry time. I think it was last week. It could have been two weeks ago. And we were still on on the platform here with the worship team. And somebody was being ministered to, and there were tears. And I saw Quinley. Now, Quinley's six. And she was putting Kleenexes into people's hands. And I thought, you know, she doesn't know what she's doing, but that's ministry of helps. Ministry of helps. Because she knows there's a need there. And so she's just going to try to fill it. Now she probably needs a little direction on how to do that. (laughs) But you know what? She got the job done. Ministry of helps. And when I see somebody get up and go take a crying baby and help with that, 
that's ministry of helps. Or when you mow the parking lot for us, that's ministry of helps. Thank you. I'm way off topic here. (laughs) We're going to skip down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And you know, this translation doesn't say no, but I think the others do. No. Not everybody operates in all those things. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I'll show you a more excellent way That's at the very end of chapter 12, and we know that in chapter 13, he moves in to talk about the more excellent way, which is love, the love chapter. So Paul is encouraging the body of believers to seek out and learn more about those spiritual gifts that God has entrusted to them, knowing that we're all different, yet all an important function in the local body. Then in Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 13, he goes on to talk about what we often refer to as the five-fold ministry. And here he's talking to the church at Ephesus. Verse 11 says, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Gifts! These are gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I just wanted to touch on this briefly this morning uh, because I know pastor's getting ready to teach on the fivefold ministry. And so I have some thoughts on the fivefold ministry, and these are just Sandra thoughts. There's nothing scriptural about these. I just want to share with you what I think. I don't think that every believer is called to walk in these fivefold ministry offices. I don't think that everyone that we see who says they're an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher really is. Because when you see one that is, you recognize a counterfeit when you see it. I think that it's dangerous spiritually to try to operate in a role that you're not called to 
And it's probably very frustrating, both for you as an individual and for the people you're trying to serve. You know, um, growing up, I knew there were lots of people um, who were pastors, who were pastors because mama wanted a pastor in the family or because they, they wanted to serve God and they really didn't know how else to do it. And I don't think any one of those five roles is more important than the other. And I think every body of believers needs to be exposed to all of them. And I want to briefly remind you that Glenn has told us that he is an apostle. Many times he's told us that from day one. I'm an apostle. He's a messenger sent out to the body on a mission to liberate the captives. And I know that he's going to talk more about that in the weeks ahead. But there are a couple of things I want to point out. You know, this is pretty short because I'm going to wind up here pretty quick. But I think there's some things about that that we just haven't understood. You know, he's not here today. Now, I know he's with family today, but sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's ministering to other groups. And I say we haven't understood it because sometimes that's all we see, that he's not here today. Well, he's off ministering somewhere else. And we're left listening to so-and-so. Well, today, you may be thinking that (laughs) because you're left listening to (laughs) so-and-so. And you may be thinking, okay, so he's an apostle. And, you know, I understand that. You know, he's got all these groups in these various places. And I tell you, it's, it's not close by groups. These are folks in Texas and Arizona and California and the East Coast, and some in England and Mexico, the country. And I understand that he's got to keep touch with these people. But I want to know, how does it benefit this body? Well, for one, it gives different members of our body an opportunity to try our wings. (laughs) And to see if we can figure out where we fit and what we should be doing. And it enlarges our circle and it gives us access to the entire fivefold ministry and the full range of spiritual gifts that may not be functioning here in our body yet. I know that most of us really enjoyed uh, Pastor Paul Washington last week when he shared with us. And we had that opportunity because of Glenn's connection as an apostle. It's the relationship that he's built with Paul and with that body of believers in Monroe City. That's probably one of the closest groups he's connected with. And, you know, I'm hoping one of these days that they bring their worship team and share with us, because I understand they really know how to rock the house. I was really hoping they were going to do that last week. (laughs) 
And just one more thing. And I hope nobody's had to deal with this thought. Because, you know, as we move forward in the body to do what God's called us to do, you know, the enemy is always there. And, you know, he's going to start in the thought realm. So I just want to throw this out there on the off chance that somebody's had to deal with this thought. That's money. Am I stepping on anybody's toes yet? What do I mean? Money. You know, we pay Glenn a salary. I don't even know how much, but I can guarantee it's not as much as he needs. Not as much as he deserves. Not as much as he could use. If you've been tempted with the thought that, well, we pay him to preach here and be our pastor, and he's gone at least once a month, Be careful. Despite your best intention, that's not from the Spirit of God. It's the enemy trying to make you a drop stitch. Guard yourself. First Corinthians nine seven, and actually that whole chapter. 9-7. Have you got that, Todd? Okay. This is, this is Paul. So we know that Paul dealt with the exact same thing. This is just one scripture. I really encourage you to read this entire book. Um, 1 Corinthians 9. Read that entire chapter. And don't read it in the King James. He said, Consider this. What soldier at any time serves at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of the fruit of it? Who tends a flock and does not partake of the milk of the flock? I, I encourage you to read this because Paul dealt with the same thing. There were churches who questioned, well, are we paying him to go to these places? You know, I know we might help some, but I can guarantee you a lot of times we're not. He dealt with the salary issue. There were those who didn't think he should get anything. That's Paul. Didn't think he should take any money from them for providing the word of God. Let's go back to Hebrews 3.1. I want to read it in the New Living Translation. So, Dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus. Okay, we've already established apostle and high priest, right? Whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. Think carefully. So I just encourage you to guard your thoughts. You know, if, if the enemy's talking in your ear, that, hey, maybe this is not right. Maybe he should be here more often. Maybe he shouldn't be, maybe he shouldn't be entrusting these women to be in the pulpit so much. Oops. 
we've got a few of us. Let's go back to the knitted garment one more time. And let me show you how I think Glenn fits in with it. When a garment is knitted, say a sweater. Lenny had on a pretty sweater this morning. I was teasing her about getting out her winter clothes. Individual pieces of a garment are constructed, and then they're fastened together to form the whole garment. So one body of believers might knit a sleeve, and another body of believers might knit the front of the sweater, and another one might knit the back of the sweater, and then another body of the other sleeve. And then maybe there's a little collar that stands up, and there's another body yet that knits that. And I believe that Glenn, the apostle, is helping us connect the pieces of the garment to the rest of the pieces, our piece. Now, I don't know if we're a front, a back, or a sleeve, but I know we're important to the finished product. So I have one final thought from Wikipedia. Depending on the pattern, and we talked about the you know, patterns, some of them are very intricate and, and have cables and various things. And I wish I'd have put some pictures up there because there's some really cool patterns, knitted patterns out there. But depending on the pattern, a knitted garment can stretch up to 500%. So, my closing thought for you is let's be part of a beautiful final product and let's do whatever we have to do so that God can stretch us.